0: Hey there, slumberers. Before we get into today's AAP episode on Brooke Shields' Pretty Baby, I want to share some exciting news with you. Yours truly, Brian Rodriguez, one half of the hosts of Heiso Slumber Party AP, made a special guest appearance on another fantastic podcast, White People Problems, an OC podcast. That's right, Matt and Joe invited me on to talk about an episode called The Goodbye Girl. This is is a classic OC episode so if you're a fan of one of the greatest teen tv shows of all time or you just like the sound of my voice tune into white people problems an OC podcast available on all major podcast platforms and don't forget to subscribe to both high school slumber party and white people problems wherever you get your podcasts all right time to get back to class
1: high school slumber party AP is a cage club podcast network production For all things Cage Club and High School Slumber Party, head over to cageclub.me, that's cageclub.me.
0: Welcome slumbers who take their studies a little more seriously. I'm Brian Rodriguez.
1: And I'm Aislinn Addington. And this is High School Slumber Party AP, a study session in contemporary teen films.
0: And your assignment today was to watch Pretty Baby, Brooke Shields. But before we chat all about that, we have some homework to discuss. And really quickly, we're talking about the 2023, sometimes less a 2022, documentary on Hulu, not yes. the literal film, Pretty Babies.
1: Just to be clear, yes. No, I had the same, I knew the name of it, and I went to look it up, and I saw the cover, and I was like, nope, that's not <laughs> what I want to watch. That's a different episode entirely. Definitely. But you're right. We have homework to talk about. So hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us right now. Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Hit subscribe.
0: And of course, class participation. Huge part of your grade. Follow High School Slumber Party. On Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can follow us if you choose as well. So, Island, Pretty Baby, Brooke Shields. You suggested this one. Why, I guess? And not in like a <laughs> suspicious way, but Absolutely. I was curious what, what drew you in.
1: Sure, I did. I did suggest this. So, it's gotten a lot of news uh, coverage, and by news, I mean like pop journalism, if you will. And I, as much as it was, difficult, and darker than I expected. I really enjoyed talking about Kid 90 on this podcast and the way that we were looking at an individual experience kind of juxtaposed with a cultural experience and and kind of the what a viewer sees versus what humans live and all that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. So I thought this might be an opportunity to have a discussion like that. And the sociologist in me is fascinated by the I don't know the sort of trends that it seems you know Brooke Shields either set off or was a part of or I don't know it's it's an interesting time and and gosh to be perceived as you know singularly beautiful from birth interesting like what that that was weird yeah I do, and and we do want to take a moment just to kind of in the pre-chat portion, uh, let folks know if you haven't watched this documentary, it absolutely, as maybe alluded to by the title, um, it discusses the sexualization of children in, in Hollywood, in pop culture, using kind of Brooke Shields as the example of that. Additionally, as you get further into, it's a two-part documentary. We're going to focus on the first part because that's when... Um, she was doing her teen work, but as as we get deeper into kind of her life, we inevitably, unfortunately, are led into discussions of sexual harassment and sexual assault, in In this case in Hollywood, but we know that, that those things are prevalent and everywhere, so just wanted to um, provide that activation warning, if you will, that if aspects of this conversation are not what you need to listen to today, we understand. If aspects of this conversation lead you to wanna to talk to someone, help is available all the time. So uh, RAINN, uh, uh, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization, has a 24 hour hotline. Um, that number is 1-800-656-4673. They also have a chat function It's uh, rain with two N's, R-A-I-N-N, if you're looking online, and please uh, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. And we hope you also enjoy our discussion of Pretty Baby Brooke Shields. Uh, Shall I read the Hulu explanation?
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's important, again, I was not surprised, but it was interesting to see the ABC News tagger in front of it as well. So, uh, you know, clearly important sourcing here. I I think this documentary is a pretty big deal. And thank you, Island, for uh, the disclaimer as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, So again, we're focused on part one. Pretty Baby, Brooke Shields. From sexualized young girl to Princeton graduate, we explore Brooke's extraordinary childhood and her complex relationship with mother, manager, Terry.
0: So right off the bat, Aislinn, we, we sort of asked this question on High School Slumber Party a lot, like, right, like, what's your history with the movie? Um, but what's your personal history, I guess, with Brooke Shields?
1: Oh, what a great question. I mean, as a child, uh, I think suddenly Susan the is that late, Mid-90s, late 90s, as well as her. So I think it was her appearance on Friends was prior to that, right? It was kind of her getting into sitcom yeah. world. So I was aware, what do I want to say? I was aware that she had been a child star of some kind and that was like, it was a comeback of sorts. I was also aware because I was an, a fan at the time of the Rosie O'Donnell show. So thinking about, um, there was a a kerfluffle, I believe, because Rosie was not invited to the wedding she had with Andre Agassi. Oh, I didn't know this. brought that up on the show at one point. I believe that's what happened. I could, if if I'm wrong and fact-checked on this, that's fine. Um, (laughs) But also then the, you know, the controversy with, you know, her being uh, really, I'm going to say, brave about discussing her experience with postpartum depression um, in an era where it wasn't being talked about much and then Tom Cruise having an opinion about it which I you know I probably say this a lot I'm in a line of work that a lot of people have opinions about and I could give a shit about a lot of people's opinions I care about the people that like we're serving and that we're there to serve and I feel similarly about this like why does Tom Cruise have an opinion about this you know what I mean so That's my, that is my Iceland's nutshell of Brooke Shields. Um, I also knew that Blue Lagoon was like a a dirty movie. And that's all. How about you?
0: (laughs) It's funny. I think we're dating ourselves. We have a very eerily similar (laughs) history with Brooke Shields. I thought I was kind of of embarrassed myself by saying the same thing. But like, I I was a sitcom junkie. Um, I sort of, as a kid, I sort of remember the... If it wasn't live, it might have been in syndication when I saw the the Friends uh, guest appearance. But definitely Suddenly Susan, right? Like, I, I, it was on four years, but I watched that show. I thought it was funny. I haven't seen it since. But when you watch both parts of the documentary, it's a whole big deal for her to be like, oh, I'm seen as a comedic actor. And that was great. That's right. more close to my personality. But growing up, I saw her more as a comedic actor than the model because I guess just because that was my age right and I remember distinctly not thinking that that person on suddenly susan was the model as well like I remember I had like an aha moment I'm like oh that's the same person in the ads like that's that's (laughs) insane to me like so When I say the documentary was cool, I don't mean all the subject matters was cool, but like from a historical perspective, it was cool to put all that in perspective for me in the timeline. Because I also remember my mother telling me about sort of the stuff uh, oh, she was a child star, that kind of stuff. And like she was the face of Calvin Klein. Believe it or not, my mother and her are around the same age. And if you're doing like the math at home, um, it's just uh, I'm, I'm the oldest in my family. Her life. Not in the stuff she did, obviously, but, like, the timeline of her life mirrored the timeline of Brooke Shields' life, So that makes sense, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So I think for people like my mother or my mother's, like, generation and friends and sisters or whatever, like, Brooke Shields was, was a pretty big deal.
1: Absolutely. I actually watched part one with my mother, who oh, wow. I am the youngest, so I'm at the other end of the spectrum. So I think because my mom is older than Brooke Shields, she was aware of Brooke Shields you know um, so she kind of remembered so many pieces of this and certainly the kind of the the modeling bits for sure and we'll get there but I thought it was the fascinating to see like her perspective on the Calvin Klein ads versus what has become the legacy of them was fascinating so uh, we'll get there but yeah it's, it's sort of fun that we both have yes we have the same mid 90s uh, Thing it was I mean, honestly, I think not only was it Brooke Shield's like comeback as a comedic actor, it was also one of the first big guest stars friends had, didn't, wasn't it? It was yeah. when Joey was on "Days of Our Lives," and she was a, a like stalker super fan, which I felt like was also meant to be a wink nudge because she had been so famous that like now she's playing the superfan 100% I superfans
0: <laughs> 100% not to get into my friends you know my friends fandom vacillates between uh what do they call it guilty pleasure something i hid and <laughs> <laughs> i don't know now regardless hey it's popular with with the youth again for totally. some reason I mean weird yeah reason.
1: it's definitely cringe in places but i um, <laughs> real quick and you can cut this out if you want but When I worked uh, at the college in Oregon, the University of Oregon, pardon me, I I had students working at the front desk and um, they weren't allowed to watch videos at the front desk unless it was finals week. Oh. Because at that point it was like, okay, you're done. And they're either, you know, studying or they're done and they're just relaxing. And so Friends was on Netflix still. And so that would be on a lot. And I could... Listen to a line, they could pause it, and I would tell them the next line with 100% accuracy. Every time we played that game, I won, and it was both (laughs) embarrassing and invigorating. And so, yeah, I'm right there with you, Brian. I think we could unfortunately kick ass at a friend's trivia night.
0: Listen to a friend's podcast, read a friend's book. We all know the flaws of friends, right? But for whatever reason, it's become this weird, timeless thing. It is relevant today because that Friends cameo is huge. And at the time, you're absolutely right, Aislinn. They're still using Brooke Shields' as Brooke Shields here. Which is often how people either make comebacks or cross over from modeling, right? Like, she's not Brooke Shields, but when they open that door and it's Joey Stalker and it's Brooke Shields and the crowd goes wild it's part of it right if it was a random actor it doesn't work as well so um yeah there's that cameo there's the this, this suddenly susan but for so many other people to say ride of it is to trivialize it but just the timeline again of her life is is just so again iconic and moving and i, I stress i guess the, my, this is my long way of saying if you can do watch both parts, even though we're talking about part one, because I feel like it has a really happy, positive ending. So I'll leave it at that. I don't want to spoil too much, but I, I just want to make it clear, like, we're only talking about part one, but I think I would suggest you watch both parts. Agreed. So we're just kind of going to, like, bounce around some, I think, uh, stuff that stuck out to us here sure. or there.
1: If I could, I wanted to ask... Which Brooke Shields films have you covered on High School Number party?
0: Zero, actually. Zero. Uh,
1: I thought you had done Blue Lagoon.
0: I had not done Blue Lagoon. <gasps> I have, I've actually have not seen Blue Lagoon. Okay, so there's three films they really highlight in her youth, especially in part one. There's Pretty Baby, Blue Lagoon, and Endless Love. Island, what of those have you seen?
1: I have seen Blue Lagoon and Endless Love but i don't really remember endless love i think it was a girls night in the women's dorm at college <laughs> i think <laughs> i fell asleep so maybe i need to give that another look maybe i don't but but certainly i mean gosh i i remember sneaking blue lagoon when someone else had rented it
0: oh are they Okay, I have to ask, because, I, look, this is this is a DVD, or probably VHS, let's be honest, that as a kid I always saw at Blockbuster, and I was intrigued by the cover, but I was too afraid to be like, let's watch this, you know what I mean? Remember, too, like like I said, I'm the oldest of three boys... That's probably not being played in our house, and it's definitely not being rented by me. Like, let me watch it with my younger brothers, you know? Um, (laughs) So I just never got the chance to see it. And now I definitely want to watch it for, you know, for lack of a better word, research reasons. Sure.
1: I mean certainly cultural impact
0: Yes cultural impact things like that But it, but like not probably why a lot of Other people want to watch it. Yeah. In a... yeah so are they actually Because there was like a blur on the screen Are they actually naked in that film
1: Um. I mean well that's what I'm Trying to remember I, I don't think you see much I think you probably I think you see Butts for sure I don't think you see Frontal
0: okay I was just I was Curious because her I mean, hair
1: covers Her hair covers Most of the time I would. I mean, I can Google right now. Blue Lagoon nipple and see.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if, you know, they even allow that. <laughs> um, regardless, yeah, I was a novice to this part of Brooke Shields' career. I knew it existed. I didn't know the extent of it and the backstory of it. Um, the lightest thing you could say about the first part of this documentary is cringeworthy, you know? Yeah.
1: Sure.
0: I I felt very affected by the sexualization, mm-hmm. especially those model. Before we get into the films, especially those modeling shots of her oh early goodness, on, yeah, like
1: mm-hmm. as a nine year old. Yeah,
0: those are still lingering with me in a disturbing way. I guess I just don't get it. Now, I was going to ask you. You're a much more learned person, especially in this field. One, one, and I, I'm sorry, I totally forgot who it was, but one of the commenters had a hypothesis that with the sort of rise of feminism, I guess the oh yeah, a, the aesthetic sort of changed mm-hmm. from, as they put it, full figured women were more popular in advertising and in film. Sure, I I think they just said pretty bluntly that it turned into the sexualization of children or, or youth. Like what'd you, what'd you think of that take?
1: Yeah. So I think, yeah, the hypothesis being as, uh, yeah, I, like you said, as um, the women's movement took shape and sort of took hold and the idea that they like, w- which was always an idea, not a reality, right. That like a quiet, submissive housewife, all those things in quotes, this like w- one or potentially two dimensional, idea of or idealization of women was no longer the norm or no longer the only norm available that then that you know okay basically what she said was okay if 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 you all aren't going to be quiet submissive whatever we'll just younger women will do that instead kind of thing and that that particularly in advertising and marketing and and entertainment that that kind of led to that influx of younger, sexualization of younger folks. When I hear that, I I hear that hypothesis. And I think, I you know, I can, especially the way that they showed things to us in this documentary, I can see that there there are patterns there. Additionally, there's other stuff going on. And so, for instance, you know, if we're looking at modeling more kind of broadly and modeling of clothes, it is a similar thing where you have the Marilyn Monroe type, like Jane's, Jane Mansfield, who's someone else? Someone else in my mind that I can't think of, but <laughs> a more hourglass figure, right? That, and then sudden, not suddenly, but then um, it is switched and, and suddenly Twiggy, um, oh, British yes. model, right? That was so slender, becomes like the it girl in quotes, the iconic figure. And that, was a, a particular tipping point in getting us to this size zero size two very thin thin model that we get to you know between the 60s and the 90s for instance um, I remember the term heroin chic being used Oof. a lot for that 90s very emaciated looking model and we can talk more about how you know things have shifted still and there I think there is a fantastic influx of body positivity and um, inclusion whether or not we want to use sports illustrated swimsuit issue as any sort of marker of things that we have fuller figured models like ashley graham you know incorporated um this year padma lakshmi who is i believe in her early 50s being included you know there we are we are seeing mainstream media, including uh, a wider variety of bodies, and yet there's also, I think, anytime the pendulum swings, it is then going to swing back. And so I've I've read articles saying that like skinny's back in, which is a terrible uh, tiny, you know, distillation of a much more complex issue. But um, I have talked for too long. All that to say. While I thought that was an interesting hypothesis and I I can see how aspects of that bear out in patterns and in research, I don't think it is that simple.
0: That that definitely makes sense. I I guess what was jarring, one of the jarring things to me was – and I want to take her mom a little bit separately here, but like almost instantly her mom is saying like this is – like, at birth, like, look at this baby. This baby is, uh, you know, beautiful and all, all those things. And it's not just her mom. Everyone is saying this. So, like...
1: Right. Other people agree. There are a lot yeah. of stage moms out there.
0: And I'm not accusing every single person who spoke to Brooke Shields, every single talk show she was on, as being creepy. I, it comes off as creepy, but...
1: It really does.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, she's in that chair. And even as a child, they're like, wow, you are spectacularly beautiful. Like, You are...
1: Like Like, I'm distracted by your beauty. Yes. I don't believe how young you are. I mean, obviously they picked they picked their quotes there. I'm sorry. I know I interrupted you. Tell me if you want me to say this later. But like, what struck me was the I don't know the parallel and then sometimes the dissonance between if you take just the Brooke and Terry, it's this very female empowered. This woman did not want to stay at home. Mm -hmm. be married, follow in the, like, the more conservative, as as Brooke described it, um, of her father's side of the family, kind of following rules. She wanted to be out and, and sort of free, in quotes, and do things. And so they were making decisions, hard to say, because one of them was a child who was really making the decisions. But, like, you have that very kind of empowered female team, but then anytime you're on set, I Or whether it's a set of a talk show, which they did together and separate, or the set of a movie, I just see all these adult men surrounding her. And so it's like this feminine female dyad surrounded by men taking advantage of them.
0: And I think that's something that the documentary sort of does well, is that it does show... From Brooke on down, especially the mother, right? Like, these are complex people. It doesn't paint the mom as 100% a stage mother. And it doesn't, I mean, as Brooke's, like, you know, I would say defends her at certain points on that aspect of it. But it also doesn't depict her as, oh, the most amazing mom in the world. It's not 100% like this Wonderful, wonderful story between the two right. of them. There are, there are aspects of it, like, right, like, you could make the movie that you just said, like, this um, this amazing, awesome, like, feminist story of just, like, this woman who did not want to conform, yeah. and, and her daughter has this gift, and, and they use it to create their own life and, and write their own adventure. Like, that's pretty cool. That happens there. But, like, again, we learn about her, her alcoholism. We learn about, mm-hmm. again, while... And, and this is something that Brooke says here, like, and, and related to especially our talk today, right? Like, she was very insistent on Brooke being tutored, right? I, I just know some... Brooke Shields kind of grew up, um, and I learned about this later, like, or sort of around where I grew up, um, the New York area, parts of New Jersey, right? So that was another thing, too, I would hear as a kid. Oh, Brooke Shields used to go to school here. You know, and not and not think of not in the school I went to, but like a school near me, right? And I I just happen to know for a fact that her mom was very insistent on her education. Like she would go if she wasn't on set, she would go to class. She would go to school. I mean, we see her later go to Princeton and you know, she she didn't get in from what I've heard just because she was an actor or something like that, right? Like she she and she comes off as very intelligent in this, so I, I believe it as well. Yeah. So like at the one hand she's insistent on on this really good the what we'd call good parenting, right? And then on the other hand, even Brooke says it like when she's on set or whatever, she's being controlled by these these men essentially and let, you know, let's I know we're bouncing around here, but let's look at all three movies she was in, right? They they all sexualized her. She wasn't like the goofy friend in a movie or or something like that right like every single one of those movies a key moment of those movies more or less was her losing her virginity from nine which is really screwed up to i think she was 16 or 17 in endless love right Mm -hmm. so and all three of those movies were directed by men who we sort of saw them and they were like presented as auteurs and what they were doing was like for the art of it all yeah artistic and and i did want to note a couple things though this documentary i know we're not going to the production but i do want to highlight the director of it itself um her name's lana wilson and she's pretty accomplished documentary filmmaker up and coming. And I think, again, she did a really good job here. So I was glad to see that this was directed (laughs) uh, by a woman who's... And again, she comes off... um, The direction comes off as very compassionate, uh, where Brooke is able Mm -hmm. to tell her story. And we get get, uh, different sides. And and like you said, we get some academics as well. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: And her friends.
0: And her friends. That was cool. Also, love Laura Linney. Love when I get to see her.
1: Love Laura Linney. I would... (laughs) That was I I loved that too. I think being such a what do I want to say in awe of the complexity and boundless depth of femit <laughs> of female friendship. <laughs> I loved seeing the friends in it. I loved that we got to see them in interview form, but that we also got to see Brooke speaking to them in like like a a conversation between friends filmed. So that you could hear people talk about her and about what they remember, or or how they were seeing things, how they see her now, but also them speaking to her. Like I just that that felt authentic. And what do I say? Of course, they're her friends, and so they're going to you know be on her side. In quotes, I'm very overt in this episode. The whole movie's on her side, right? It's her, it's a documentary of her story. So like that, you know, I'm not saying it shouldn't be that way, but the way, the different ways in which they were observing the situation at different points, whether it's about her mother, about her career, about her relationships, like, I don't know. It just, it gave me even more esteem than I already had for the importance of female friendship and and how much I just love being a part of this, you know, witchy circle I'm in.
0: I thought I thought it was a great, uh, you know, way to tell the story as well. Like, some of the best moments, again, I'll use the quotes again, best in quotation marks, were her friends reacting to certain stories. Um, and even if yeah. just, like, a brief reaction, right? Like, because you feel like they care about her and and the way she's sharing it. There were certain things that she's really gung-ho about and she has certain things she's still like i in particular with her mother that you could tell she's still like a little conflicted on absolutely and then yeah just to once, once again shout out laura linney if you don't know out there like laura linney's history or her, her story it is so fascinating i've heard her on a couple of podcasts mm-hmm. i think uh mark Marin had a good one with her and you could see why they were friends. Uh, she brings up that like they both were sort of raised by single moms. Also, if you just want to do like a Berkshields deep dive, there's a lot of good. Look, there's a lot of bullshit out there. There's a lot of also people Mag- people magazine stuff out there, right? Which is. Sort of the sunny version of things. But, uh, you know, Brookshield is an, an avid writer. She's written some yes. great books, uh, great autobiographies, great memoirs, whatever you want to call them. But, like, her father also has a very fascinating story as well. He is, like, truly, like, one of these very pedigreed men, you know. And when you compare him to the story of, like, her mother, like, again, I, I almost wanted more. I want, like, a ten-part Brookshield series, I guess. Is, <laughs> right, I guess is my yeah. Point. <laughs>
1: to follow the families would have been interesting, too, because you get you get historical uh, images and a little bit of film of her with step-siblings, or half-siblings, I'm not sure, and then a little bit of them, contemporary them. But you're absolutely right. I mean, in the version of the story that is just Terry and Brooke, I mean, Terry's a a, a lovely human, but, you know, th- th- it's like this miraculous, beautiful baby. When you When you look at her next... I mean, her dad looks kind of like... Clark Kent yeah right I mean he's he's a, a conventionally handsome I think particularly at that time you know just that like you're saying that pedigree that um sort of idealized
0: yeah again it's it's that's e- a better like, way to put it yeah like I don't believe in know, that pedigree necessarily DC,
1: yeah. DC man um <laughs> anyway it just uh, yeah I agree I could have used more of the background and you know I haven't I haven't read all of all of her works. I think I've read excerpts, which is embarrassing to say, but I'm definitely going to. Um, I love a memoir and I love a memoir where the author reads it. So um, on my to-do list for this week is to look up and see if she reads the audio to any of her books and then I will absolutely get them because what I loved about this was the combination of the archival where we can see kind of what was going on behind the scenes, her explaining her, experience of it, and then the cultural commentary. Like, I, you know, thank you for shouting out the director. Will you say her name one more time?
0: Lana Wilson.
1: Lana Wilson. I I think she did just a fantastic job.
0: So again, two parts, uh, a little over two hours. Like, it was tough to watch because of subject matter, but not tough to watch in terms of, like, it didn't feel like a drag to me. But I want to hit on something you said that just, I, I guess it just clicked with me. It is so interesting slash weird but what sort of makes this documentary and unfortunately is something that probably hampered Brooke Shields life every moment of her life is documented right and you don't get that with most people of that of most eras (laughs) you know this we're not gonna see Ken Burns in a random you know picture of the dust bowl that we're moving around right like nearly from birth till now Every moment of her, I guess, famous life is documented and and much of her life was famous. And it sort of opens with this premise of there was only like 10 or 12, It says that's an exaggeration, but like 10 or 12 famous people that everybody knew. And now you have all these influencers and everyone's so famous. And I don't know, I feel like it didn't really go back to that so much. And I kind of forgot about it till this moment. But then I'm thinking now, and who knows, right? But... Maybe I'll call out some friends of mine. I'll just I'll keep it personal. But there's so many people I know who, like, are documenting every moment of their kids' lives. Now, their kids are not famous, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, maybe it's going to be the norm to have every moment of your life documented. And now, again, every moment of your life won't be overanalyzed like Brooke Shields and, and stuff like that. But I do find it fascinating. I guess someone of her age will say, I just think it's very rare to have this much... Footage of them again, unless you were like a pr- the sure. president's son or something along those lines, uh, you know, someone from royalty or again, a child star. Yeah, it's pretty rare and interesting, but it definitely like gave a lot of a context of the documentary. And they weren't talking about sexualizing her, just talking about it. Like, we saw it and we saw interviews with directors talking about I mean, them doing it. They brought
1: the receipts, <laughs> yes,
0: yes, good way to put it. <laughs>
1: no, I think that's that's super insightful i i also didn't till just now remember the way that it it yeah it opened with that premise which i I do agree with you know pre-internet pre-social media there were these kind of mega celebrities we knew of and now the i don't know if this is the right way to say it but like the democratization of celebrity Hmm. where that term I'm not. I don't mean diluted in a bad way, but has diluted and spread out to include. I mean, I'm sure at that in the Brook Shields era, there were a few, let's say, Olympic athletes people knew. I'm thinking of at the time, like Bruce Jenner, yeah. right, was known and was was you know did things in entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. But now, I think we know a lot more. Also, there are more sports and activities that get a claim. So it's that. And then, you know, reality TV didn't a reality anything, but reality TV didn't exist. Where now you have, you know, my favorite tier of celebrity, the Bravo celebrity. <laughs> Not to mention TikTok and, you know, I mean, internet famous folks that have been on Dancing with the Stars, that have been on Big Brother, that are on all the things. And it you're right, it didn't go back to that. I, it seems like it was that would have been a way to it would have been interesting to come back to that. And also, I think part of it was just setting the table for folks that are younger than us and mm. and aren't aware as much of of what it was like prior that there were these kind of singular phenomena. And and Brooke Shields was part of that. And I, I think that's is cemented and it's it's very early in the second episode when you see pictures and video clips of her with Michael Jackson. And that they were friends. And I, I, you know, we know how I feel about Michael Jackson on this podcast. The part that was interesting to me was, and Brooke doesn't get into it, other than to say that they were friends, period. Um, and that similarly, there were aspects of them that were very juvenile and young and playful and aspects of them that were mature because of their experience and their exposure to the world and show business in, in different ways, Th- that, that way of contextualizing it sort of, to me, made their friendship make sense. Even just in the short piece that was in the beginning of that second episode, when then I believe it was with the a famous interview in the early 90s with Oprah, when he said that they dated and he, the question was about like, who are you in a relationship with? And he said, Brooke Shields. And that that was a betrayal to her.
0: Yeah.
1: I got, I got real heated in that moment, but I also, and it is also well known. I hate the phrase, just friends, right? Because I, there's nothing just about friendship. So really all that to say, this one really hit all my buttons.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As we talk this out, I was going to talk about this more towards the end, but in that part two, it does end with a conversation uh, between Brooke Shields, her now husband, and her two teenage daughters. So it it is a bit relevant to us. And maybe the framing device is working here because the daughters are talking about... Instagram and TikTok and having seen some of the clips of her films on TikTok and having seen point. seen some of the movies. So I'm not sure if that's what what they're going at here. By the way, I loved this conversation she had with her daughters. I know that it's a documentary and we're not truly fly on the wall, but at this point I bought in and I felt like I was flying on the wall on the wall. And I just love how Frank, they were, and the agency that her daughters had, and how proud she seemed to have this disc- open discussion with them. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really cool. I thought it was a great way to end, end the movie. And yeah, so ju- just did want to bring that up again. Was going to say that towards the end, but since I think that might be the framing device here, yeah,
1: yeah I'm absolutely. not sure. <laughs> no, you're you're right, and that's it's a kind of even more more a more sophisticated than than I had kind of pictured it when we were first talking about it. Um, there's, what do I, I don't know how to say this. If I say a charming authenticity, it makes it sound like I'm cheapening the authenticity. And I don't, I don't mean that to me. Maybe it's um, her, I, I guess just for me personally, her, her authenticity in these conversations, both to the camera and with her family and was so enticing. Yeah, and, and brought you in, especially when you look at all the, that early footage that is so polished and, you know, airbrushed and you see so many little clips of people coming in to touch up little makeup things and not to say, you know, I mean, she's, she's gorgeous, independent of all that, but that she has natural poise, but so much of that was so posed and put on. And she talks about disassociating. Pose right? number one. Yeah.
0: Pose, pose number 10. Whatever. Pose number yeah. three.
1: <laughs> um, to just see her truly be herself and share what she wants to share. And, and I also think aging beautifully. I mean, she and and her her famous friends that were in it are all gorgeous women that seem to be very much themselves in their own skin. Again, I am in my mind, juxtaposing with my Bravo celebrities that do a lot of cosmetic work, which is everyone's individual choice, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I just feel like the, the authenticity comes from within and like shines through. And earlier in, in the thing, you kind of hear her kind of like we did with Moon Fry, honestly think about, and I wanted more of this with Soleil, so now I'm getting it with Brooke, but, like, thinking about her own daughters and how she would want to frame things with them. Thinking about the the uber-focus on Brooke's virginity and the way that these male talk show hosts would bring it up is just so disgusting Um, and no one's business and all of that, and the way that she thinks about that and thinks about her own children and then to see her talk to her own children, like, the way she has come through all of this with, like, her own sense of self and that she has provided that independence, but with their body autonomy, which she did not have for the next generation. I think it's fantastic on a micro level and what I'm hoping for on a much larger level. Right. To me, it even comes down to the previous generations where it's like customary to say, you know, go give someone a hug, go kiss grandpa, go do whatever, where where children didn't have autonomy. Mm. I don't know. So this is one story and one family and one very specific set of experiences. But when I think about what her influence and kind of what her, what she went through and how that impacts how she's raising the next generation, then it's like, oh man, if this is just one piece of what a lot of people are doing what an amazing sign for the future, but I may that may have been all bullshit that I just said,
0: but i I agree what you're saying it, it left me on a hopeful tone, right? Like I know uh especially one of the academics here is like this is still happening this is and and I'm sure it is it's, it's not true, very true. It's not me dismissing that, but it's still at least in her own journey, it did leave me on a hopeful tone, and I hope. You know, people watch this and learn from this. And and again, uh, we're we're not going to get into part two too much, but uh, you already mentioned it early on. Um, the stuff with postpartum depression is like, that could alone be her legacy.
1: I was just, that phrase was just in my mind. You're so much more succinct than I am tonight, Brian. Thank you. <laughs> I, I agree. Cosign 100%. Yes.
0: So back though to like her teenage years quickly, I just have a couple other notes I wanted to hit on. Please. Um, the thing about, her body that really struck me, I guess, like her talking about it. She's always asked about it. All these talk shows, obviously, she's she's doing these modeling campaigns. It's being highlighted in what I think are creepy ways. But whenever she's either behind the scenes interviewed, well, when she's interviewed, she seems uncomfortable talking about it. But then, like, today when we hear about it, she's like, Sort of like, I was born this way. I didn't control anything. Why? Like, I think she has a line like, why do my eyebrows have to be a thing, right?
1: Right. Well, and that it felt minimizing. It felt, you know, sh- she knows that she's a three-dimensional whole person that has a full brain and ideas and whatever. And so when it, it was just distilled down to appearance and whether that was, you know, to the extent that that was sexualized, that that's my recollection that she, that that's what she said, like, you know, seared and hurt her was that it was just a pretty, just a pretty face.
0: Yes. Yes. And, and her having to prove something that I think, I don't know if most kids have to prove necessarily, but like that she's just, she calls herself a nerd, just like a fun, you know, funny person. Right. She
1: had to go to Princeton to, to prove, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, and, and there's a lot of privilege in that, even having that opportunity, but I love that it was – she. I think she described it right. It's kind of her rebellion, in a sense, to go and, and not be a body, to be a brain.
0: And the moment – and I think it's at the end of part one. The moment that really struck me, not a high school moment, but we'll still talk about it. She enters Princeton, and she's pretty lonely. And it's not because, you know, she's standoffish. It's like people are avoiding her because they think she wants her space. And she actually came there sort of to be normal and sort of to make friends. But when she finds right. – her clique among the theater kids, her tribe, if you will, she seems so happy and fulfilled that you could see it in the footage. You could see it in her pictures 100%. then. And I just, I loved that part.
1: I love that too. And, you know, famous or not, honestly, if a, I mean, I could talk forever about her hair. I, I love her hair. I, I'm, I apologize for objectifying her in that way, but she's gorgeous hair. Um, I, love, I love, I'm jealous of, jealous of her hair, but, um, you know, someone with those eyebrows, that hair, she's six feet tall, right? Walked into a class of mine freshman year of college. I, I don't know. I may have given her space as well, you know, famous or not, right? She, mm-hmm. she does stand out. And I, I agree the, the footage of her in the dance and, and theater and, and I don't know if it was improv. I don't know what all it was, but you're right. The it was coming from inside. You know that that smile was not a catalog smile, right? It was a genuine smile.
0: Speaking of catalog, the other uh, a couple other things I wanted to bring up, but one of them was this Calvin Klein. Yes. Uh, ad. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I know the name of Calvin Klein. Everyone does, right? I guess I'd never really sure. seen footage of like an up and coming Calvin Klein sort of being an asshole. You know what I mean?
1: Oh my gosh, he, yes.
0: He's like, if I'm the bad boy, so what? When they're asking him, like, did, oh, you, did you sexualize a teenager? Essentially, they're asking him. And he's like, maybe. I don't play by the rules. And you're like, whoa, dude.
1: But on the other hand, like, you make jeans, which is the most bland. Thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how did, when did you change the world? I knew, I knew the, I knew the campaign. I knew the phrase, nothing gets Nothing comes between me and Mike Alvin's or what comes between Mike Alvin's nothings, whatever. I had never seen the alts, the other pieces of it that included the literary stuff or the philosophical yeah, me stuff. Either, me whatever. either. Yeah. I believe Brooke that she thought it was a tongue in cheek. It's modeling, but she's demonstrating that she knows these things. And I can't imagine the like humiliation of it being whittled down to, Oh wow. She's not wearing underwear you
0: know? I agree with you 100% and I think it would be a more effective ad if she wasn't 16, right? Like Oh, oh yeah. well, I can't say more effective. Uh she increased Calvin Klein sales by 300%. So on a business wise I don't mean, but I'm talking about like ethically, right? Like you could have probably not put a teenager <laughs> in those roles and especially again the way they were like uh more again, I've i would seen the ads. But not in motion, not in the video right. versions, right? And the video versions were super, you know, they definitely sexualized her and like you said, got Yeah, it was a
1: them. male gaze. You know what honestly it reminded me of the, immediately was the first of the Transformers with Megan Fox. Oh, yeah. Um, and no disrespect to Megan Fox, but the number of times that the camera panned her body in that film- was repulsive to me. And so it's like, Oh, this is the playbook of that. Like, this is where I don't, did Michael Bay direct the early ones? Yes. Like this was where they learned that. And maybe it's again, I am now making a hypothesis where there's a lot of more data points. I'm not including, but like, I think this was a turning point in that sort of sweeping body curves for marketing, for exploitation, for whatever else. And just like, yeah, we've we still do this because this worked so well.
0: If you increase the sales of something and make a brand as iconic That's true. by by increasing it to 300 percent you can be sweeping. You know what I mean? Like I'm not saying you should be, but like I see the direct line you're making a hundred percent. And and if you're out there and you're a little skeptical and you don't think that this is real you know during the heart of the lockdown i decided to catch up with all the mcu movies right watch them all kind of oh, in a row wow. and if you mm-hmm. see if you see how black widow is literally framed with the camera from early avenger movies to later especially when you're watching it like in a week or two it is drastic it's like for the first couple of movies She's ass before she's anything, like, and I mean in camera, right? And it's just like, and again, like I said, it's super interesting and like in a study way, but jarring when you watch it like with a more modern uh, take on that same character. You're like, wait, what? You know? But yeah, so I, I agree with you guys and I think you can draw a direct line here. And it also goes to, again, I wish she wasn't a teenager and I wish... Calvin Klein didn't come off as such an an asshole because I, I also want to like I don't know what it was but like you also need to credit Brick Shields for like I guess I know modeling is about being pretty but I feel like she has a quality in her yeah. personality that comes off on camera that contributes yes. to the gene sales in the, in this example does that make sense yeah
1: she ha- she has a charisma and think in part be- you know she now that we sort of know her as we do from the documentary, you know, you can sort of see that where she it seems to be naturally warm and and friendly and funny and things that in addition to, you know, the photographs being lovely, you know, some of that stuff, I think, does come through. And also thinking about like working with her and, and we can get into the ways in which she um, felt pressured to, to act or comply or or this and that. But we see the behind the scenes a little bit and she's friendly and funny and nice. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, uh, was a benefit in front of the camera and behind. And I don't think that's true of every.
0: No, no. And I, I definitely like, again, this, this, and lightning because that's almost confirmed here, right mm-hmm. I guess the uh, the other thing I had in my notes was and it comes up on this podcast with nostalgia and modern films this sort of obsession that America, the world I don't know has with virginity in, in teens and losing your virginity. It was super real on screen for these characters that we talked about, but also in her real life, which again, Super creepy. Um, and, and I I mean it in, obviously, in both ways, right? Like, there are people who are obsessed with, like, the physical act, right? But then you, you see in this documentary, there's people who were obsessed with, that she keep her virginity. And that's public. And that's a part of that book. It was like, it's really cringy and, re- and really gross. I think there are certain films that have, in the modern age, maybe done this better,
1: I agree. Right. Sex appeal that I love. Yes, yes. Um, blockers that I loved. I mean, there have been a number of discussions and, and I don't think, I think by people who have, have focused on it and I don't want to, I'm not diminishing us, but have focused on it in, in um, their research and academia and whatever else, like there has been a cultural shift. I don't think that it is the same and I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I mean, certainly my era was early on Britney Spears, but then Jessica Simpson, very much even up to Jonas brothers, right? Had purity rings that now they've all kind of come back and say, well, actually we were, we were humans, but we were told (laughs) to do that. I don't know how much of it is that I am not part of the current coming of age generation. Or that has really changed, but it seems like that American Pie style losing our virginity pact is no longer the same plot point universally. It might be a characters, but it doesn't seem to be that same hinge point. What, what do you think? You've, you've watched more than I have.
0: No, I'm, I'm in agreement. That's kind of why I want to bring it up. I do feel like there's been a change in, in cinema when it comes to that. You said it earlier, whenever things move in a certain direction, there seems to always be a backswing. It doesn't necessarily go all the way, right? But there's definitely... I have heard some light backlash about this stuff. You know, we, we hear mm-hmm. it all the time. Oh, the film was too woke for me. I don't want to bring this guy up again, but Seth Rogen. He's been Damn ex- it, Seth Rogen. sort of echoing these things, though. You know what I mean? Like how his films were better with framing these this stuff. And I, I just hope we handle things going forward just with a little bit more respect but when you flash back to not again not just on screen brooke shield's characters but off screen how they're treating her
1: in interviews on television asking her about this making her defend her choices making her i just can't insinuating that i don't know and just insinuating a number of things that were really gross i can't imagine i'm trying to think of what is a Maybe Zendaya would she be asked on a television program about her virginity? I don't I don't know. I
0: don't think so. I don't think we see that today. I, I can't imagine like Jimmy Fallon asking anyone a question like that, right? Like and it's not me defending. It's not me defending Jimmy Fallon or saying Jimmy Fallon, no, but like we're not. We're <laughs> we
1: are not Jimmy Fallon apologists. I am thinking of cause it came up through my Instagram recent recently. I'm um I think it's an account called Female Quotient, but that has clips and it showed the clip of Matt Lauer, now disgraced Matt Lauer, interviewing Anne Hathaway. And she was there to talk about a movie and he was like, well, you know, there was this wardrobe malfunction. Like, what do you have to say about that? And she was like, wow, okay, we're going there. What I have to say about it is that I'm so sad. That we are in a world where that's what people want to focus on and that like that sort of someone's, you know, body is, uh, you know, sexualized against their will and commodified against their will. So I'd like to talk about the movie. And it was just like, boom, right? (laughs) Um, But that isn't even the generation we're talking about. I don't know the right people. I mean, do we ask about Jojo Siwa's virginity? I don't know. We we talk about her sexual orientation. So I, I don't know, man. True. But this conversation does lead me to then want to remind you of a couple of movies that I watched for the 22 year in review that may or may not bring up some of these points. Ooh. And so I do think watching High Society for AP would be great. I do very much want to watch The Fallout for high, for AP and we can talk about, when we get there, this cultural shift and kind of how it plays out in truly contemporary teen films.
0: Good teases. Good teases. <laughs> so the last thing I had in my notes that please we don't have to, again, get really into. A lot of, I think, I feel like we're doing a lot of a... Tap dance, yeah, but, yeah, but touching the edge of like people's dissertations, right? Like we don't need to, like oh my gosh.
1: we are. Yes, we are giving away topics,
0: <laughs> but there is a dirty little secret. I don't know if you, if you want to call it that, but just something that people do not acknowledge, at least in in modern pop culture, that up until I don't know what year, but. And let's let's be honest, Leo DiCaprio kind of continues this, but like, it was just common in media to be like, oh, that 17-year-old or that 19-year-old is hot, right? And it wasn't a weird thing. People didn't ostracize these men for thinking that.
1: Or for dating women that young. Yes. Right? I'm looking at you, Wilmer Valderrama.
0: <laughs> I don't know why I always cite this. And I don't mean to pick on Jerry Seinfeld, but maybe, maybe he deserves to be picked on here. I don't know why but i remember digging up like an article from some newspaper about how cute it was that he was picking up his girlfriend from high school this was in the early okay. 90s and a lot of people were like oh or like oh this is so fun like like it was socially accepted and that is so weird to me so but i think when you watch this documentary that's going to probably be one of the biggest cultural shifts that like now like a People still do this. We know they do it. Still
1: happens, right? That that's that's probably why we were thinking of it because of the the recently several like forty year olds with nineteen year old girlfriends or wives. Who is that terrible comedian?
0: Oh, Dane Cook, right? Like
1: Dane Cook. Thank you. Is what forty seven and his girlfriend slash wife is twenty four. Yeah, like, like
0: it's allegedly. Th-
1: rampant. Th- David Foster. Catherine McPhee. I can go on and
0: on. <laughs> yeah. It, like you said, it's rampant. I, I just feel like a, a lot of the media for generations would praise this.
1: The, yeah. and The that, conversation is different now. It, yeah. I don't know how much behavior is changing, but at least the conversation has changed.
0: So watching this, it just reminded me of that. Because I, I would ask myself the question, why does johnny carson care about this why does why does you know who is ever interviewing like how is gallagher it, and his terrible oh, jokes yeah fuck gallagher <laughs> but rest in peace but um <laughs> yeah like why are people asking her this question like and i'm thinking of more capitalist level right like i don't know sure. if johnny carson is necessarily like i'm a creep and i'm and maybe he is maybe he's not but like he clearly thinks that his audience wants to hear about this Sure. Like that's something that this leaves me with, like that yes, this is about the sexualization. I of... mean,
1: how many jokes, sorry, I interrupted, but how many jokes did Jay Leno make about Britney Spears or Lindsay Lohan?
0: Good point. You know yeah. what I mean?
1: It's remember all that stuff with Paris Hilton? Yeah. That I don't think we have culturally apologized for yet. Um, so Sorry, finish your thought. Now that I no, no, slimed
0: you. No, no. I mean, again, I'm in complete agreement. It just it just reminds me of a time where I feel a little weird being like, "Shame on them," because I wasn't a part of it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I wonder how someone who was more of a part of a generation that was doing that feels now about. Some of the dialogue, or even at the time, maybe they were like, that was one thing that I thought was interesting. So, sorry to segue a little bit, but uh, what is it that she does that there's a lot of backlash? And unfortunately, it's against, oh, it's one of the movies. Uh, Well, a bunch of them, but there's one movie that she did. I mean,
1: Pretty Babies, she got flashback or backlash for. Or is it Blue Lagoon and like parents that didn't like it? It
0: it was one of them, it might have been both of them. There were a lot of people at the time saying, like, this is wrong.
1: I think it was Pretty Baby because she was a child prostitute. And she was like... For sure. I just did my lines. Uh, I wasn't making commentary about... Right? I wasn't the director. I was just doing my part.
0: And something that the documentary did to me that I want to bring up, and you're right, it was around Pretty Baby, was, like, once again, back to the mom, but... When this was happening, my first instinct was, how could her mother let her do this?
1: Why would she think that was a good idea? I think the, the auteur of it all, I think it's an artistic film. Honestly, maybe I'm being naive here, but that he was French, I think, <laughs> made a difference at <laughs> yeah. the time. Oh, I definitely Susan think Sarandon so. Susan Sarandon was in it. I'm like, Susan Sarandon, how did you let this happen? She was high. <laughs> <Just>
0: <laughs> Probably. Kidding. But what they what they said made me rethink about it, too. It's like, and just going back to this point, right? Like, why are we out there just blaming the mother for this? And I get it. That's the, the biggest right. guardian here. But, like, there's a whole infrastructure that set this yes, up. Yes,
1: that allowed it to happen. 100%. And I think that is, that is where that, you know, backlash culture and the thinking about, you know, they show kind of a, a montage of like 1980s culture change things and just say no to drugs and all that that where instead of blaming a culture that would buy a ticket to a film about a child prostitute you're blaming the mother of the actor who took the part in the movie and I think we continue to do that and if honestly if there's a way to scapegoat a larger problem and just blame a woman we typically do
0: well said but that
1: takes the hope out of the situation <laughs> well said i did like um i liked it when you said it would be interesting to hear from someone you know who was more there at the time and i think what you've just pitched is our ask a boomer
0: segment <laughs> here oh, good idea good idea i love it <laughs> <laughs> I know I said that was my last note, but I did remember this one other note. It's sort of related. Yeah. Pretty Baby, not the doc, the original film. I get like exactly like I said, how you could sell some of those things. But as they were showing the movie, and it's like, oh, this older man is falling in love. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, we don't need this. Um, they
1: auction a child off, apparently. I haven't seen the movie, but what I was shown made it appear that they auctioned her off.
0: And it, if you're selling that like history, uh, maybe, whatever, but- the way that they were framing it, I guess, in the doc, and maybe I need to watch the movie to get the clearer picture. The way they were framing it is almost that it was like, oh, it was like a cute romantic, like he was almost her protector. Uh, that one dude, I forgot his name.
1: Yeah, like a 29-year-old um, photographer.
0: Yes. But Blue Lagoon, and now, I- I'm not going to be an apologist, but I understand why it was probably successful. Because they showed that it was mostly successful among teens, and this is, again, an era, yes. an era of you know, a lot of, a lot of factors, right? Like pornography is not readily available being one of them. Right. Sure. Like,
1: and, and some like, uh, you know, a generation of where the, some sexual liberation had happened. Yeah. And so it's kind of the next generation and yeah. Pre, I, again, I don't, I, I shouldn't speak too much about the history, but like a little bit pre full AIDS crisis. So kind of a little bit of an, a potential, um, Time of freedom with perceived fewer consequences than maybe a generation right after.
0: Certainly, if it's if we're talking AIDS crisis here, we're certainly talking about a time where, at the very least, you could say white America is ignoring it, and this is clearly a film that
1: 100 was
0: you know mostly yeah. marketed to white America. So you're, I think you're absolutely right with that.
1: Yeah, white heterosexual America as well, certainly, and and coming of age. I mean, you 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 know better than I, but this was, pre, I think, pre John Hughes, right? So in terms of like high school, in terms of coming of age, there aren't as many options.
0: No, you're absolutely right about that too. I mean, it's something again. Maybe, maybe I'll have to draft. I
1: do. I'm surprised y'all haven't done. I I thought for sure you had done Blue Lagoon. I thought maybe you had done the sequel returned the blue lagoon.
0: i know i know it existed haven't done it but it's also something again island i might need to draft you because i don't know who i'm recruiting to do blue lagoon in 2023
1: so. that's true we gotta we gotta find some else. If, <laughs> if you were shipwrecked on a desert island uh call in let us know and come join us for blue lagoon
0: uh was there anything else in a pretty baby brick shields that really stuck out at you that you wanted to uh discuss today.
1: You know, I think you 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 brought up all the things I wanted to talk about the behind the scenes of Calvin Klein and that
0: Brick Shield's doll maybe.
1: Oh my gosh, the Barbies, yeah, all the <laughs> surrounding. I think you're right. There's a lot of there's a lot of meat on the bone as it relates to her relationship with her mother that is just not I'm not saying it's outside our purview, but like you know, we've I'm happy to have focused on Brooke more specifically and for folks that haven't watched it, but are plan to there is more discussion of her mother um, as a complex character, as someone who struggled with the disease of alcoholism and then eventually dementia. And so that is also a, a heavy piece of it and a piece that was in the media. Right. I mean, there was one um, particular talk show appearance where they were like quoting a a journalist talking about how her mother looked. Oh my god! Drunk and old and tired in and, like, front of and her Brooke mother, in front of both of them. Yeah. And Brooke, as a teen, was meant to answer for it, and it just—you know, I—I I have a a counselor who would say anywhere you see. You know, alcoholism, you also see codependence. And so, um, again, I think it's a different conversation, perhaps a different podcast. But if that's also an area that is um, interesting to you or an area that is uncomfortable, just wanted to make it clear that there is more about her relationship with her mother and how that impacted her growing up her time at Princeton, kind of her navigating boundaries. Um, it's it's all in there and it's a, it's a great documentary.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, we're not going to have our traditional awards, if you will, today. That didn't really feel germane. I did want to give this a grade though. Uh, so Rotten Tomatoes, 88% by the critics, 93% by the audience, 3.8 out of five. Giving this a grade Like, this was completely about Brooke Shields and her story, and yes, the layers around it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I'm really grading more, at least for myself, just the impact it had on me, and it definitely had an A impact. I don't know if everyone on Letterboxd was like, I don't know, there might be people who were like, the lighting or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, that's not what I'm talking about today. Sure. So I think it had an A impact on me. Um, You can grade it any way you want, obviously, Iceland, but uh, A to F scale, what would you grade it?
1: I mean, obviously, I'm going to give it a a solid A, hundred percent. Like, no no points lost here. I, I I think I've already said it, but to me the the story and the filmmaking did such a beautiful job of of speaking to the media impact and the the particular um, phenomena of fame. Brooke as the central character speaking about these things on her own terms, revealing things she has never spoken publicly about um, in some cases, and then having the cultural critique throughout it as well. Like I, I don't know what else it could have had in it. And it, you know, it packed a lot into, you know, two hours and 20 minutes, but also felt digestible. And so just Pure filmmaking standpoint, I give it a hundred percent. I'm so glad that in addition to the books that she's written, you know, Brooke Shields I don't want to say like took advantage of this platform and and gave us kind of the gift of her perspective on all of this. I think, were I still to be on the faculty side and teaching, I might show part of this um, when we talk about media and as it relates to gender, etc. So I'm a I'm a fan a
0: nice nice love it love <laughs> to hear it I, I kept this one in because why not rent two movies get one free are there two films that you would recommend iceland with this if someone wanted to oh my goodness for whatever reason enjoy a triple feature with pretty baby brooke shields
1: so again for me i'm going to pull out that piece that is the female friendship And so I'm going to go to a flawed but endearing classic and suggest Now and Then. Nice. um, Both for its kind of period piece, timeline, flashback, all that. And then to go with that, what do I want to say? as, As a nod to... The virginity of it all—I've already mentioned it. I would—I'll put blockers in there too, and as a modern take. But also, I think the friendships in that are great as well.
0: There you yeah, go. Yeah, I
1: think that's it. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's doable. What do you say? I
0: like it. I like it. So I—I I stuck with documentaries and what one. One is a shameless plug, and I'll recommend Kid90 with this because we had an episode on it. So definitely look into the archives at cageclub.me or wherever you get your podcasts to find our Kid90 episode. And the other one I'm going to recommend is a documentary I haven't seen, but I really want to see. Oh,
1: we can recommend things we haven't seen.
0: Yes, because I think it's going to lead to future episodes. And maybe we'll cover it it as well, whether it's in our year-end wrap-up. But it is uh, Judy Bloom Forever, which is a oh, documentary point. on Amazon. Uh, yeah, it's on Amazon. And with uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, coming out soon in the theaters, I believe. We're going to try to cover it at some point here on AP. We'll see when we get around to it.
1: Maybe when it streams.
0: Yeah, honestly, when things come out in theater, they're like streaming relatively soon after that. Okay. It used to be like six or seven months, right? Like now I feel like it's like two or three months, you know? Mm-hmm. So sure. um, we'll cover it, I think, at some point this year, because I, I believe it'll be streaming by the end of the year. Um, but the documentary, it might be worth doing sort of a, a double feature on. But yeah, so I, I guess my recommend officially, though, is this documentary, documentary Judy Bloom Forever, which, again, I, I've known people who've seen it who thought it was pretty cool. So uh, check out those docs, check out those films. Check out other episodes of Slumber Party and High School Slumber Party AP. Uh, Island, anything you want to promote?
1: I mean, just High School Slumber Party, High School Slumber Party AP. If you're interested in more of my feminist rantings, um, check out the contenders on uh, cageclub.me. Yeah, that's it.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks, Island.
1: Yeah, thank you.